Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. Samuel turns up. There's a lot of boys, a lot of sons. And as they come in, he begins with uh, most likely the oldest. He's the tallest. He is the strongest. But the Lord says it's not him. And finally, as one brother after another comes and there's no more left in the list, Samuel says to the father, isn't there someone else? Because none of these are at. And so he says, well, yeah, there is the youngest one. But he's out the back of the paddock. He's looking after some of the sheep. And he says, we're going to wait till you bring him. Let's read on verse 13. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil that he brought and he anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. I want you to remember that. I'll come back to that later in the message. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah where he lived. Definitely called. Definitely chosen. In chapter 17, the brothers have been sent off to war. They're a part of Saul's army. And the Philistines, you'll know this story, they're gathered on one hill. The children of Israel are gathered on the other. And the father says to David, who he thinks is far too young to be of any use, he says, would you take this bread and this cheese up to your brothers and then come back, bring me news of how the war, how the battle's going. David goes there and he sees these Uh, people that are gathered together. And it says this in verse 13. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab and Shimea, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. His three oldest brothers stayed there with Saul's army. But David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. David turns up, and as you know the story, probably the most famous battle in history. Books have been written about it by Christians and non-believers alike. And it's the story of how their giant called Goliath of Gath comes out and stands in front of them. And he challenges the people of Israel and says, Give me a man that we may fight together. If I prevail, all of you become the servants of our king. But if you prevail, well, then we will become your servants. I can only imagine David turning up there. Still, the Spirit of God is on him from that day on powerfully. So we know that it's not just David, the shepherd boy. Nobody else sees the anointing. Can I say to you tonight, not everyone's going to perceive God at work in your life. The people closest to David had no idea what God was doing in his life. Listen to me. 
because God can be moving powerfully in your life and nobody else notices. Don't think that it's got to be a recognised promotion or some kind of worldwide encouragement or something like that. Sometimes, listen to me, sometimes God is choosing people that nobody else would pick. And sometimes God is at work in them and the anointing is there upon their life and nobody else knows what's going on. Sometimes you look around and say, there are other people better than me. There are other people more gifted than me. There are other people more well-known than me. There are other people more seemingly used by God than me. There are other people that seem to have a lot more experience, a lot more leadership than I do. And yet sometimes the anointing of the Holy Spirit is upon you and nobody else is even aware that it's happening. It's almost as though God's anointing is not always obvious. But the Spirit of the Lord moves powerfully on David from that moment on. But he gets down to this place and we know because we know the story that something in David's heart goes at long last. This is what I was born for. This is my moment to shine. Can I say to you tonight, God will have a moment for you. God never anoints you for perpetual oblivion, for forever anonymity. I know that from the Scripture. What about if I tell you the story of Philip and of Stephen who simply step out of the crowd to feed people, the widows that are being neglected. And yet Stephen becomes the first martyr of the church and the only time that we're ever told Jesus stands in heaven. He stands as Stephen is martyred for the faith. Or the other one, Philip, who becomes a um, a so used of God. This morning I met uh, somebody here for the first time in our church. I said, where are you from? She said, I'm from Ethiopia. I said, really? I said, it's the most Christian country on the face of the earth. And she stood up and she said, that's true. All because a man called Philip, who nobody else thought was good for anything but feeding grumbling ladies. Pardon me. But that's what they thought. And yet in a persecution time, in a time of pressure, just like now, something had been growing on this man's life that nobody else saw. Something like, like Samson when his hair grew back and his captors never realised that even though they had persecuted him, even though the enemy had come in like a flood, even though all this pressure was there, his hair started growing back, says that, his latter victory was the greatest of all the victories ever of his life. And so David goes down there to this point and nobody can see it except him. He goes, this is my moment. This is what I'm born for. I'm ready to shine. I'm in my destiny. But tonight, just quickly, I want to take you through all the people who tried to push him out of his destiny. Because I've discovered over the years that there's lots of people who want to push you out of the will of God for your life. There's lots of people, there's lots of, some of them have got names and faces, some of them are just crowds. But they want to somehow rather get you to lay down what God's called you to and push you out of your destiny. I think about this a lot. I've been talking about some of this for a year or more. And, and wanting to, 
and, and just had it going over and over again in my heart. So let me go through these. First, what does it take to push you out of your destiny? Number one, the first group is his family. Those closest to him. His own brother says this, I love this. King James is where I learned it. And King James says this, Alive, his eldest brother says this to him. He says, I know the naughtiness of thine heart. Thou art come down to see the battle, which didn't exist because nobody's fighting. It's not a battle as someone fights. You know, all Alive is doing is going, don't come here, you little punk, and try and show us up. You just here to kind of shoot your mouth off. You've got no idea. You've never fought anybody. What would you know? Those closest to him. I remember as a young Christian, some of the pressure and the questions I first got was from my family. What are you doing going to that church? That's a weird church. That's a cult. I heard all that stuff. And I'll never forget coming back before God. I still remember where I was. I remember the house, the address. And I remember getting down, I was the only one there, I lived down below. Uh, upstairs was the house, I'm living down the bottom area before I got married. And I'm down there and my Bible fell open at Matthew 10 verse 36, where Jesus said, I'm in the middle of this, I'm, I'm getting pressure. A man's enemies will be those of his own household, Jesus said. That doesn't mean you've got to make enemies out of your household. But it does mean that sometimes... The pressure to get out of your destiny will come from the people that you think ought to be encouraging you the most. Here's the second group. The second group that tries to push David out of his destiny is the crowd. Chapter 17, verse 24 says, All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, that's Goliath, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Think about that a minute. Talk about the crowd. Uh, you know, there are psychological studies done on, uh, and I haven't got the time to go into all the depths of them, but it goes a bit like this. They set it up so that people will disagree with something that's plainly obvious. So they get three lines that are all obviously the same length. But they see people in there that say, no, that one there's longer, and they want to see how the effect of the crowd is on people. And I heard this only the other day. Six out of ten people will agree with the crowd even though they know the crowd's wrong. Isn't that amazing? The, the spirit of the lemming going with the crowd just because it's the crowd. The crowd says. And all the men of Israel are saying, we can't do it. All the men of Israel are saying, it's impossible. See, the crowd says to David, you can't do it. But they were wrong. The crowd saw how big Goliath was. All David can see is how big God is. They ran from Goliath. Verse 48 says David ran to the giant. Listen to me. Forget the crowd. On a whole range of issues and a whole lot of stuff, I believe like never before, now's the time for the church and for Christians to get before God and say, Lord, what have you got to say? One of the signal verses for me in the last year has been out of Habakkuk chapter 2 where he says, I will stand upon the watch, upon the ramparts, upon the walls and I will see what he will say to me and how I will respond when I'm corrected. In other words, Habakkuk says, you know what? I know God what the crowd's saying. The crowd are all saying this is the worst time and no good can ever come out of it. 
He says, but I'm going to stand there and say, but God, what do you say? I've been there where the doctor says one thing and the Holy Spirit in you says something completely else. Amen. When your friends don't believe in you, when people around about you might say, why do you even bother? The crowd can try to push you out of your destiny. Here's number three, third thing. The third pressure comes from time changing when nothing else is. Haven't we all been there? You know, you're believing for something. You're praying for something. You're dreaming of something. And nothing seems to change. The Bible says there in verse 16, it says that the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. That's a month and a week and a half every single day, morning and night. Out comes the giant and says, come on. Where's your challenge? And for 40 days and for 40 nights. Have you heard that somewhere else? For 40 days and 40 nights, nothing changes. Same giant, same crowd afraid. For 40 days and 40 nights, nothing shifts. What do you do when nothing's changing in your life? What do you do when the pressure comes to go, ah, why bother? What the heck? I'm out of here. What do you do? Or are you able to say, you know what, I'm not listening to the crowd. I'm not listening to those closest to me that ought to know better. And I'm certainly not checking out the calendar. He's number four. Fourth thing that tried to push him out of his destiny was expert opinion. Verse 33, Saul said to David, Saul, by the way, the Bible tells us was head and shoulders above everyone else in all the land of Israel. He's the tallest man in the nation. You go, what's that to do with anything? Not much except back in those days, if you're going to fight a Goliath, what you want is someone who at least is close to his height. Huh? And so here is this guy who is the most experienced warrior. He is the leader. In other words, he's the expert. And listen to the words of the expert in verse 33. And Saul, the expert, said to David, you are not able, not are you thinking about it? Are you really sure? Do you want to go home and pray about it? No, you just can't. You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you're a youth. He's a man of war from his youth. Can I tell you there's a million reasons why you can't? There really are. If you really want to get experts there, I can find you dozens of them. I'll tell you why this is impossible. Why you can't do it. The only person, the only pastor I ever met from Perth before we came here, I only met one. He happened to be on holidays in Brisbane. Someone told me about it. We went and met him. And, you know, the only thing he told me was how terrible Perth was, how hard it was, how difficult it was, how... I'm just so glad I never listened to the expert. Amen. What? Come on. What expert is there around about your life right at the moment who's telling you you're not going to graduate? You're not smart enough. Why would you even go for that course? You're not able. Every miracle by definition defies the experts. Huh. Here's number five. Fifth pressure to get out of your destiny is the pressure from the size of the problem. I don't need to say much more about that because Goliath was a whopper. He was huge. They named the hamburger after him. 
He was just that big. Here's number six. Sixth pressure that comes with personal attack. First Samuel 17, verse 42, and when the Philistines looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and good looking. Can you just admit Goliath never went? I, I, I reckon this is probably what he said. Come here, pretty boy. Oh, am I going to have fun rearranging your good looks? No more Vogue or whatever men's magazine there is for you, boy. I'm going to fix you up good and proper. In other words, it's not even about the land of Israel anymore. Now it's about you. I preached on that a few weeks ago, remember? I talked about that verse where Jesus said to Peter, you know, Satan has designed to sift you. And you go, why not everybody else? Why? Because listen to me. Every attack on your personhood is an attack on what God wants you to do on the other side of where you are. So there are the six things that can try and push you out of your destiny. My guess is most of us will have pressure from more than one of those areas at some point or other in our life. There are two kings in this story. One's on a throne and one's waiting in the wings. One God rejects, the other one God favours. And why does that happen? And I want to give you just quickly tonight three things that I believe we can learn out of this. about Because I don't know about you. I've never been caught up in titles or positions. I've always just thought, God, I just want, I want to know you more and I've never stopped thinking there's more than what I have. Amen. You know, so people can praise you sometimes, but you know in your heart the hunger. The Apostle Paul said, you know, I'm pressing on. He, he got met by Jesus on the road to Damascus. He got communion, the Bible says, directly from Jesus when he got caught up into heaven. And Jesus said, you weren't there at the Last Supper, so let me tell you the way it works. And he personally told him about it in heaven. He said, I saw things I'm not even allowed to speak about. And here is this guy in Philippians saying, I have not yet attained nor have I arrived, he says, but I press on for the prize, for the mark of the high calling of God. Can I say to you, no matter who you are and how much you know, there's more for every single one of us. So let me give you these things. Number one, Saul saw God as the answer to his plans. David saw his life as the answer to God's plans. If I took you to 1 Samuel 17, verse 25, where... You know, the, this man, Saul, he, he just wants God to fix his problems. David said, God, I don't want you to fix my problems. I want to be a part of you using me to fix somebody else's. Let me read this to you in 1 Samuel 17, verse 25. I'm going to turn to it because I didn't write this down for you. 1 Samuel 17, verse 25. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. And it shall be, listen to this, it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter. Fast forward that bit. Didn't turn out to be such a good deal, but anyway. 
and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. That was a big package. That's a big deal. And, you know, that's what Saul has put out to everyone, says this has got to be good. But listen to David's response in, in verse 29. And David said, listen to it, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? David wasn't looking at what, you know, the king had offered. What he's looking at is that there is a cause for which he's willing to put his life on the line. Saul saw God as the answer to his plans. There are thousands, if not millions of Christians who get saved and then think God is their butler. God is Santa Claus. He's the butler. He's the rich uncle. He's whatever else. And God will just answer all my prayers. But I believe that what God looks at when he sees you is not somebody that just he wants to bless, but somebody that he wants to use for his divine purpose in the whole earth. God's looking for people that are saying, like Isaiah said, here am I, my Lord, send me. Amen. I believe the greatest prayer you'll ever pray, I really do, apart from Jesus coming to my life, saying yes to Christ, I believe the second greatest prayer you'll ever pray is, Lord, I'm available to you. What do you want from me? God, what do you want from me? Oh, I don't know about anybody else, but I love, I genuinely, I love the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't know what it would be like to stand and minister without that. I wouldn't know what it's like to pray without knowing what that's like. And I love the privilege, because it is a privilege, of saying, God, I want to be an answer to someone else's, to what you want to do, to someone else's life. Here's number two. Second thing is that Saul wanted God to fit his timetable. David said, my times are in your hands. That's out of Psalm 31, which is called a Psalm of David. He said, my times are in your hands, Lord. Psalm 31, verse 14 and 15. As for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you're my God. My times are in your hands. God's got a timetable he's working to. Don't try and make God fit your timetable. Surrender to his. Amen? Amen. Here's the last one, number three, and then we're finished. I hope this is speaking to your life tonight. Speaks to mine. This third one particularly does. Saul had moments of the Spirit. 1 Samuel 16 talks about, uh, sorry, previous to that, where Saul, the Spirit of God came on Saul and he prophesied. And they said, is Saul also among the prophets? But I read you that verse in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Some Christians come to church and that's the only moment of their week where the Holy Spirit gets a moment. That's the only time where they, the, the realm of the Holy Spirit gets to leave heaven's realm and come upon their life. The rest of their life is all about what they think, what they want, what reason they can come up with. But the Holy Spirit wants to lead every believer. That's our privilege to be led. Those that are the sons of God, Romans says, are led by the Spirit of God. Saul had moments of the Spirit. David had a life in the Spirit. 
I believe God wants to talk to you about your business life. I believe he wants to talk to you about your home life. I believe he wants to talk to you about everything. I don't believe there's one part of your life that the Holy Spirit says don't care. I believe he wants to talk to you about everything. I really do. It doesn't make you super spiro, you know, where everything has got to be a sign and a wonder. You know, where everything requires God to speak before you act. But it does mean that we live our lives saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 says, Be filled with the Spirit. The word there in the Greek, the tense of the verb is this. It's what's called the present continuous tense for which we don't have an equivalent in English. It means to be continually being filled. In other words, an unending moment of being filled. It just is one day after. Some Christians can look back to when they got saved when they got baptised in water, when they got baptised in the Holy Spirit, and that's the end. Amen? They got it, and now they're there. I'm ready now. I think uh, the next Sunday or the Sunday after, I'm speaking about Elisha and his journey. And I'm not going to tell you everything I want to say, but I'm, I'm there reading through all these four places that uh, he and Elijah stop at, and I'm thinking of all in terms of bad places because I've heard people preach it like that. And all of a sudden it dawned on me that they're actually great places in God. Keep on being filled. Has God used you? Oh, there's so much more. Amen. No wonder David, when he's caught in immorality, no wonder David's prayer in Psalm 51 verse 11 says, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. God, you can have anything else. You can have all the stuff, you can have all of the fame, you can have all of the title, but God, please don't take your Holy Spirit. I wouldn't be able to live without that. Amen. Come on, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> thank you for these people, every one of them, wherever they are. There are people you're speaking to right now and through this service. And God, they're not in my part of the world. They're not in this place called Perth. There'll be others in the building here, Lord, or online, and they are in this place. But God, wherever we are, you're speaking to us, challenging us. Lord, you're not asking us to become something we're not. You're not trying to make us like someone else. You just want us, Lord, to be open and receive from you. Oh, God, I pray that every one of us will journey in a way that when we get to the end of it, we'll say, I have fought the good fight. I have run my course. I've finished my race. Lord, we'll be able to say, God, I did it with you, and I'm so glad that I got to do it with you. Thank you for each one. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Can we stand together a minute? You hold it all together. Can we just sing that again? Thanks, Amanda, Tessie, whoever. Come on, let's just sing it for a minute. Make this your prayer right where you are. I believe in altar calls. I believe in Jesus touching us. I believe wherever you are, come on, I don't care how long you've been a Christian. There's so much more for every single one of us. Would you just say like David would say, Lord, come on. Oh, you've done some wonderful things. Would you do more, Lord, in my life? You hold it all together. You are the Alpha and 
Yes, you're the Omega. Yes, you're the Omega. pray right now for people that are in the middle they're like David they've gone down to the battle and they feel like destiny is all over them and all around them but then there's all these things that are trying to push them out of it God I pray for divine strength I pray for those Lord who in the last short while God people close to them voices of the crowd began to try and move them Lord from what you want for their life pray God you'll touch them right where they are in Jesus name right where they are in Jesus name right where they are in Jesus name there's somebody right where I, while I'm speaking and in your workplace somebody seems to have almost taken it upon themselves to talk you out of your life with God They've been saying, why do you bother with that? Don't waste, this is the words, don't waste your time. The Holy Spirit's got you in this service tonight so that you can hear that destiny is calling and speaking to your life, saying something else. Lord, we believe that you're the Alpha, you started. We believe you're the Omega, you're the one who finishes it. Wherever we are in the middle, you're still there with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for people that have never said yes to Christ. Pray for those, God, who though they might know church, though they might know about you, they don't know you. Pray for those, God, who used to know you, used to walk with you. They used to sing to you and they used to pray. Somewhere along the way, something happened and pushed them out of it. Tonight, they want to say yes to you again. Would you help them tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name? In Jesus' name. Just before we sing it again, can I say to you, if that's you tonight, you know, this afternoon, because not everyone yes texts right in the service. We get them all hours of the day and night. This afternoon, somebody out of them. This morning, I guess, I don't know, said yes to Christ. If that's you, 488 if you're in Australia. If you're outside of Australia, yes.metrochurch.org.au or of course if you're on metrochurch.online, that yes button is just straight there for you. Just tap on it. We'd love to help you. We'll be praying for you like we did in our pre-service gathering. We pray for the person who said yes this afternoon. We'll keep praying for you because it matters that you continue your life with God. We'd love to be praying for you. I may not ever know your name, but that's okay. God knows who you are. When you say yes, heaven is watching. Heaven is re responding to that. Just praise. You put your yes and say, Jesus, I'm saying yes to you for my life in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing it one more time. Lift up your heart. Worship God for a minute. Come on. Together. 
Amen. Amen. What a beautiful night. What a great sense of the presence of God. I pray that God has blessed you and enriched you. Thank you again, team, for being.